Hello and welcome to this week's Dairy Dialogue podcast, number 40 or the big 4-0 and as they say life begins at 40 or more accurately people over 40 say that to pretend they aren't aging. I know I've said it myself, it's a bit like 50 is the new 40, actually no 50 is still 50. But enough of the subject of ageing. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we have three interviews for you today. It actually could have been five, but there's always that fear that if I use all five, I'll have nothing for next week. Just being cautious. Another thing that comes with age. In the news this week, we've had stories on Swiss dairy company Hochdorf, which is realigning its business, Lactali on a bit of an acquisition spree in North America, concerns by the ADC, the American Dairy Coalition, about potential delays to the USMCA trade agreement between the US, Mexico and Canada, and two opposite sides of the same coin in Europe, with reaction to the EU deal with Mercosur. The European Dairy Association says it's great news, The European Milk Board says not so much. And speaking of age, we had news that Ketone in Australia and New Zealand will have its products stocked by RT Mall in China. What's that got to do with age, I hear you ask, or maybe you didn't ask, but I'll tell you anyway. The age thing is that I wanted to go with a clever headline that said Ketone Cops a Deal in China, as a play on words of the old black and white comedy The Keystone Cops. The only problem was no one I mentioned it to had heard of them, so that's another example of me getting old. You watch now I've mentioned it, there'll be a movie of that. And we also had news that ice cream company Franeri has entered the market in Israel through an acquisition. These stories and more are on DairyReporter.com. If you can't plug your own news, what can you plug? Well, your ears maybe. And so to the show. In this week's podcast, we discuss leak detection technology with Bill Bernard, Package Integrity Sales and Business Development Manager, North America, Inficon, regarding the company's new Contura S600 equipment. We also speak with Mark Brayman, President and CEO of Pantherix, which has received $50 million in financing for novel biologics and medical food development. We also feature an interview with Peter McGuinness, Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer at Chobani, on the company's recently launched Milk Matters program. And we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton from INTLFC Stone. And so first up this week is the company Inficon, which will be at Pack Expo in Las Vegas in September, debuting its new leak detection equipment, the Contura S600, which features an oversized test chamber. Next month we'll have a feature on Pack Expo itself, that's not a leak by the way, and rather than attempt and fail to explain what this equipment is, what it does and how it's relevant to dairy, we'll leave that to the expert Bill Bernard, Package Integrity Sales and Business Development Manager, North America, Inficon. So if you could really just talk me through the new technology that you're launching at Pack Expo and how long it's been in development, etc., it'd be great. Sure, sure, Jim. Thank you, and and thanks for asking that. You know, I mean, it's uh, Inficon launched the Contura concept, and and last year at at Pack we were just beginning to hit the market, right? So we were just in the introductory stages. Uh, 
We introduced the Contura S400 into the North American market, and the Pack Expo in Chicago was the first anybody in, in North America had seen of it. During that Pack, we were actually one of the uh, technology excellent award finalists for that show. So, Jim, let me let me describe briefly the concept. I think it warrants a, just a, a little bit of conceptual description, and then I'll talk a little bit about what is new for the pack in Las Vegas. But the, the Contura is a pressure rise leak detector. So the testing is essentially a, a very precise method of measuring leaks from packages. Now with the Contura, we generate a very powerful vacuum around the package. This vacuum is roughly 10 times greater of a vacuum than maybe the water bath or other vacuum-based technology that might be out there. And what this means essentially is that that level of vacuum, it means you're that much more likely to inspire a leak with that very, very large pressure differential. With the Contura, there's something really specific about it that makes it that much better, is that with these, the membranes that we use as our vacuum chamber, these membranes are flexible. And as we're starting the test cycle and drawing that vacuum, the membranes collapse around your package. So normally the pressure that we're, the huge pressure differential that we create would, without those membranes cradling your, your package, that level of pressure differential would cause these packages to explode. But because our membranes hold the package in a steady state, we're able to create a much larger pressure differential, which means that there, you're that much more likely to inspire the very small level leaks. But even more importantly, Jim, in measurement, because this is a pressure rise situation, the really significant part of that is that with these flexible membranes, our vacuum chamber volume drops to a minuscule level. And therefore, any leakage of gas coming out of your package and into the vacuum chamber, even the most minuscule amounts of gas coming out will have an impact on that pressure rise. An interesting analogy would be like if you were to have, have spilled a Coke bottle into Lake Michigan as compared to spilling a Coke bottle into a five-gallon bucket of water, in which body of water do you think it would be easier to detect, you know, that, that substance of the Coke? Well, of course, in the five-gallon bucket, it would be because it's a, it's a much smaller volume, and so the, the substance within the Coke will show up much simpler. And that's really just a really simple analogy of, of part of why the Contura is an excellent device. Now, for, for the PAC uh, Expo in um, in Las Vegas, we're introducing a, a new version of the Contura. Instead of the Contura 4, S400, it's, it's called the S600, the Contura S600. And essentially, Jim, it's, it's just a larger scale of testing chamber for the leak detector. So it's the second in a, in a series of, of introductions that Inficon will have for this market.
And how does it help with cost effectivity and shelf life for products? And of course, especially within the dairy industry. Yeah, right. So uh, cost, uh, cost effectivity and shelf life are, are really a big deal in the performance of, of the Contura products. So let's just um, simply talk about the cost and the speed of testing. Um, because the Contour runs in a complete test cycle in roughly eight seconds, you can radically improve the speed at which you can do your testing. So what this means, and strictly on cost, is that you could run your testing sample size uh, significantly larger within the same time period. Effectively, you're able to create a much larger data sampling and the surety of, of which the product that you're sending out the door is much more significant. But in the event that you do find a leak, you know, the, the product that has to be retested or reclaimed and scrapped, you know, if you've, if you've had a 30-minute a cycle in the meantime, well, you've prevented yourself from scrapping 30 minutes or 60 minutes of, of, of product even before, it gets, even before it gets out the door. So the speed at which you can do that is, is significantly uh, improved. Or let's say you want to you take the other side of cost and, and reduce your labor costs. So you have a person, and essentially you could uh, reduce the amount of labor involved in your testing significantly. It, it, some of the empirical studies that we've done at, at plants would show between a 50 and a 75% reduction in the amount of time that somebody's involved with testing uh, a product. One of the other ways it gets at this is, is shelf life, though. I mean, that's a, a really that, – actually, that's one of the main considerations where people are, are looking to more scientific-based technologies um, is, is because they need to be more accurate and they need to find micro-leaks. And the, the Contura series of product, the, the leak rates that it'll get to, it gets down even to the micro-leaks. And you mentioned cheese there. Is it applicable to other dairy products as well? The Contour is ideal for a whole variety of products. But conceptually, Jim, the Contour will work on most products that are dry. So in the dairy industry, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is cheese. And we've had some major, actually, we've got some major projects underway at a couple of dairy manufacturers here. But it also could be used on products, um, things of the sort of the, the ready-to-eat products, uh, like a, a snack tray um, or, uh, you know, prepared things that are, are trade. And, and the dairy companies are, are uh, involved in that industry quite, quite significantly. And the freshness of those products is, a, is really one of the things that the Contura helps preserve. The Contura will work on pouches or trays or uh, of a whole variety of, of shapes and um, structure of package. So for us, it's really about the product being in a, uh, essentially in a dry condition. I guess also in terms of the economics of the situation, for a company wanting to utilize technology like this, is it something that is easy to install? They don't have to sort of put up a new building in order to accommodate the equipment? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really... Uh, that's a really important question, and the simple answer is, is absolutely yes. Um, the 
the Contura is very simple to use and implement even on the existing line. So with the contour, the concept is really simple. Um, it's very easy to demonstrate how the unit runs. And in any place that we've gone to, we've run it head-to-head -head against the testing techniques that people currently use. Predominantly here, it's, it's a water bath type of a method. So what we've found is that people are very excited about the simplicity in which they could implement this type of technology because the correlation of the data um, is, is very clear and easy to see um, from the, uh, the, the, the running of it. Additionally, the interface with the machine is very simple. So, so it, is, it, it can be used in a, in a quality laboratory environment it can be used right on the, on the production line. We've, we've got customers that, that do that. Um, so it's, it's, uh, operationally, it could fit very nicely uh, and, and be quite adaptable to the, the current environment in which uh, testing is, um, is done. Jim, we have found that customers are normally a little reluctant to change a critical part of their process. However, what we're finding is the, the simplicity of the, the, the design concept and the interface allows really the, the critical advantages that weigh heavily for these companies um, to look at their, their future processes and improvement goals, like data generation and, and data management and, and many of their quality objectives, you know, and their, their Six Sigma processes. And it allows them to take advantage of those. The, the Contura S400 and, six, and S600 allow so many avenues of process improvement considerations really to be evaluated. Things like, you know, customers may, may be looking at film modification or changes or equipment validation processes to uh, converting to more environmentally friendly packages. It, the Contura, because it's a non-destructive testing process, it, it really allows co companies to consider those advantages. And in addition to the, them looking at migrating to a really a more scientific approach, because the Contura generates quantitative leak rate data, and it, it actually generates and, and makes the data viewable or exportable, anybody in quality all of a sudden starts saying, hey, hang on, if I can improve the, the frequency that which I'm testing um, or increase the frequency of which I'm testing, and now I'll, all of a sudden I can get lower leak rate data and I can do all these other things and it's non-destructive and um, and, and, you know, the, the process improvement people are really the people within the facilities that all of a sudden start thinking very broadly about process improvement. So it, it not only is simple to implement, but then it allows many avenues for enhancements. The setup of the testing and or operationally the testing of product is enormously simple, right? And so, even so, let's just let's take aside for a minute the setup because there there are a few things involved with that 
that we, you know, we take steps to make it even easier. But, but operationally, day to day, the best part about this, Jim, is you, you essentially open the lid, put the product in the test chamber, and close the lid, and it starts the test cycle. So it runs through essentially a, a, a several second, you know, up to between eight and 35 seconds, depending on, you know, depending on the package. And at the end of the test cycle, it's going to give you an audible signal that it will, will note a pass or a fail, and it's going to give you a visible signal as in a red and green light, red or green light signaling a pass or fail of the product. And then on the display of the on the display of the instrument, it will allow you to actually see the exact leak rate of that that package is leaking. One of the really significant things about the Contura is that it eliminates so many human variables. I was going to say we're staying in the U.S. for the second interview, but they're all in the U.S. this week. This is another one where I'll get into hot water very quickly if I try to explain it all. Pantherix, a biotechnology company focused on addressing serious GI-related health conditions, has received $50 million in new financing from Perceptive Advisors. To hear about the financing and what the company does, we spoke with the CEO, Mark Brayman. Obviously, technology changes quickly, and as the company was founded in 2007, I asked about changes since that time. It's a very different looking company today than when it first started, as you might expect, right? So it's gone through a, you know, a lot of change and growth. You know, not today. We have uh, obviously the Boulder headquarters, but uh, we also have two manufacturing facilities: one that's in Phoenix, one that's uh, in Ripon, California. And we collect colostrum from all over the country, right? So we have a really significant infrastructure uh, that includes depots for aggregation of, of, of the product. So, you know, we've got a pretty extensive U.S. footprint today. You know, we've launched our first product, Rescue, uh, in multiple international markets and uh, continue to do that as well. So you might, like you might expect, right, we have, we have people, you know, in the international areas that oversee what we're doing in those markets and and obviously help drive our business. So it's gone from, you know, I was the fifth employee uh, when I came on to take on the challenge. And uh, at the end of this year, we'll be a little bit over 200 employees. So, uh, you know, it's uh, certainly grown a lot. You know, we made two important acquisitions as part of that process. We bought the two largest bovine colostrum companies in the world and uh, integrated those, put those together as part of Pantherix because, you know, colostrum is really the, the key backbone, you know, to all the different products that we're developing uh, that address, you know, real serious GI-related health conditions. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we were vertically integrated into that. And, uh, and we also saw that there would be, uh, you know, tremendous growth uh, just uh, on that colostrum side of the business too. So we we supply a little bit over 70% of the global demand for bovine colostrum, which is used in nutritional products, uh, medical foods like infant formula. There's a lot of drug development going on uh, with bovine colostrum today. 
So we see that market, you know, continuing to grow double digits. So we'll we'll have obviously a, a need for it ourselves with our products, but uh, we're very committed to uh, that whole uh, side of the business, which is really B two B, where we're selling. Uh, the colostrum to others that incorporated into their their products as well. The company's changed a lot over the over the last five to ten years for sure, but uh, we're super excited where we're at. Uh, you know, with our with our product development activities, uh, where we're at with the commercialization of what we're doing uh, with Die Rescue and and uh, just the excellent growth that we're continuing to see uh, with uh, bovine colostrum overall. So. We're seeing some really encouraging, you know, results. So we're excited about that uh, to add, you know, to our commercial products uh, beyond just infectious diarrhea into some of these other real serious GI uh, microbiome health type, you know, problems that uh, they're out there today. So I guess colostrum is a key component of all of the products that you've received the funding for? Uh, colostrum is actually uh, one of the, uh, it's like the key building block in all those products, all those uh, gastrointestinal, you know, microbiome kind of related healthcare issues, uh, you know, like ulcerative colitis, uh, Crohn's, uh, C. diff, uh, and then, you know, drug-induced injury uh, that comes from like chemotherapy, HIV, NASEDs, you know, that really insults, you know, the, the gut and the intestinal lining in a way that... Uh, it really strips the immune system, and so being able to build the immune system back up and repair the the damage that's been done to the gut, you know, is another area of interest uh, for us on on that side. And we have medical food and biologic candidates uh, in all those areas. Your products are available internationally. Are they also available right across the U.S.? We today we're in uh, over 35,000 outlets in the United States uh, in the OTC aisle. And uh, so we're in Walgreens, we're in CVS, we're in Walmart, you know, we're in Kroger, uh, you know, we're in uh, Albertson Safeway, you know, all the major uh, national, you know, retailers along with, you know, the drug uh, uh, wholesalers as well, like McKesson, uh, as an example, uh, Cardinal Health, those big players that supply uh, products to essentially the independent pharmacy network in the U.S. market. So uh, so we've built that whole capability. It's all in place here in the U.S. today. That's been over like the last two, two and a half years that we've built all that out. Uh, that's, you know, what we're, we're, we, we're leveraging, you know, DiaRescue into for infectious diarrhea here. And uh, uh, is really that, uh, all those channels of distribution. Obviously, R&D is very important in this. Nobody's doing uh, what we're doing on the R&D uh, side of things. We're taking a unique, uh, you know, approach to a lot of this, you know, really what we call multifactorial uh, approach to it. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to address in all cases at least two uh, issues with these disease indications, if not three. If you, if you look at, you know, what we're doing, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're addressing both uh, you know, the infectious agent, the pathogen, uh, the pathogens that are, uh, you know, are, are there that need to be addressed with these, these health, different healthcare conditions. Whenever you have an insult of pathogens in the gut, it has a real significant impact on the, the lining, you know, of, of your intestines, uh, the intestinal wall, 
uh, and so forth. But it uh, it really damages you know the gut. And uh, the other thing that bovine colostrum provides are uh, immune and growth factors that uh, you know repair you know the, the damage that's been done. So you know we we come at all of these all these different conditions you know with both of those elements in mind where uh, you know we're looking to you know uh, address the pathogens and restore all the damage that's been done as a result of them you know having that condition. So uh, it's a it's uh, you know it's it's really exciting because uh, in our in our preclinical work, Jim, we're seeing excellent results. You know we're we're going from preclinical with our pipeline, uh, you know, into uh, multiple double-blind placebo-controlled studies. You know that uh, we're starting th- that work later this year. Of course, we we've done all that kind of work with Diarescue, you know, our product for acute infectious diarrhea. So uh, you know, we've run uh, six studies on that product, and uh, you know it's 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 super important, you know, to be uh, uh, be able to really demonstrate not just the efficacy but the safety of the product. And of course, you've just received fifty million dollars in new funding. What's the significance of that going to be? Uh, over half of that is going to be used uh, for uh, research and development activities that are we currently uh, are currently ongoing. So to support our new product development efforts, uh, the balance is being used for the commercialization process. You know, we're, we're launching Diarescue around the world, you know, as we're doing that. Of course, uh, you know, money's uh, an important uh, resource, right, to, to do that effectively. So um, we, we're using, uh, you know, really the balance of that, you know, uh, to, to drive the business, launching new products in international markets. And there you mentioned some of the things that you're working on in R&D. Is this a time when you're going to be developing new products or consolidating the products that you already have? No, no. We're, you know, we have a real uh, ambitious and aggressive uh, new product development program. You know, the infrastructure that we've built allows us to take multiple uh, new products through that. The launch of new products is a really important part of our strategy and, and the reason why we're spending so much money in R&D. So we're expecting that uh, we'll have other nutritional interventions that we'll start introducing early next year. Our, uh, you know, our medical foods, uh, those will start being introduced in early uh, 2021. And our biologics uh, will be coming in later in our five-year plan. Uh, it's just a longer process to go through you know, phase one, phase two, phase three clinical research uh, you know, on biologics. So does take that you know five to five to eight years to, in some cases longer right to uh, to bring biologics or drugs to market but we're committed to that part of it that's what's pretty unique about what we're doing Jim is uh, you know we really believe there's a tremendous value in building the company addressing both nutrition as well as drug so uh, we look at nutritional interventions as uh, as a real viable way to address you know, gut microbiome-related issues. So we've got, you know, about half of our R&D dollars are going into the nutrition side and the others going into the drug side. So we're, we're committed to both areas. There's one thing that I think might be interesting for your audience. Uh, you know, we're in the process right now of uh, finalizing our dossier that uh, will go to an expert panel and then go to uh, the FDA. 
it's uh, here in the U.S. It's it's uh, called a, a grass process, generally recognized as safe process, which um, is necessary to to sell colostrum to major major food you know companies to incorporate those you know into their food products. Our, our expert panel and, and colostrum has never been approved, you know, as a, as a grass ingredient or for you know use in foods, beverages, etc. So uh, we see that as a really important uh, objective because it opens up other categories other than the ones we're currently going in. And you know, our vision is it you know that uh, colostrum will will end up in products like yogurt. Uh, it's a natural, you know, addition to those types of products because it is, you know, it, it, it is dairy. And so, you know, we're, we're really putting a lot of effort to get this done and are expecting that, you know, we'll have you know, the grass affirmation process completed before the end of the year. Our objective there is obviously to be selling bovine colostrum into food and beverage applications as part of, you know, going through that grass process. The U.S. dairy company Chobani, which is, of course, famous for its yogurt, has recently introduced what it calls the Milk Matters program, which was designed to address the challenges being faced by today's dairy industry. The program will include co-op partners, dairy farms, and third parties such as Fairtrade USA, the World Wildlife Fund, National Milk Producers Federation, Cornell University, state programs, and community foundations in Idaho and New York. Milk Matters is working towards 100% implementation by 2025, and we spoke with Peter McGuinness, the Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer at Chobani, about the ambitious program. Yes, we've been working on it for the better part of a year. With milk being our number one ingredient and one of our most precious assets, we often say at Chobani we have, we have milk in our veins and we make authentic Greek yogurt, uh, strained Greek yogurt. So it's three cups of milk to one cup of yogurt. So we use a lot of milk. So fresh, delicious milk is vital and important to our business. We also think, you know, dairy farming is the backbone of America. And as we continued to see this dairy depression developing, we got concerned and alarmed and wanted to try to help in any way we can. And then we started to really like look at some statistics around, you know, five dairy farms closing a day for the last 13 years. And it was quite startling. And the absolute number of farms closing, the fact that milk prices are down, the fact that milk consumption is down, the fact that there's a lot of rhetoric out there and misinformation. If some doctor is saying, you know, milk causes cancer, which is totally scientifically unfounded, uh, you have some nutritionists saying milk causes diabetes, which is also unfounded. So there's a lot of noise. You have certain bad practices, which are the exception, not the norm. Uh, you have examples like the Fairlife example, which is very unfortunate. And that's casting a, a dark shadow on the industry as a whole, but it doesn't really represent the industry as a whole. So there's all these factors um, leading to what we're calling a full dairy depression. And um, 
we believe in fresh dairy. We believe in milk and the, the nutritional density of milk as part of the American diet. So we wanted to step in and do something, but we didn't want to do anything in a vacuum. We didn't want to do something in isolation. We wanted to try to help all of this. And in doing so, also celebrate the goodness of dairy and the goodness of dairy farming. Um, so, you know, our program has six pillars to it, which are pretty comprehensive. Um, everything from environmental stewardship, where we're trying to reduce the carbon footprint of, of milk delivery, and we're working with wild, uh, the, the World Wildlife Fund, to animal care, which is critical, we're working with farm on that, and the National Milk Producers Federation, to really raise awareness around animal care. And we stand for um, and want more audits, greater frequency of audits and more and greater compliance and greater transparency around animal care. And we think that's a, a, a humane thing to do, but B, we think it's gonna help the overall image of the industry to try to increase milk consumption in America, which is our goal. Worker well-being, I think, is another really important area, and we're working with Fairtrade, and it will be Fairtrade's first ever foray into the United States. It'll also be their first into dairy. So this is quite pioneering, but really establishing benchmarks and certification uh, for worker well-being, and in doing so, um, we would pay meaningful premiums for milk which would be beneficial to the farmer and their profitability and their overall livelihood. Because uh, we know that could cost the farmer more money and we're willing to pay more for that milk to make it economically vi viable. And actually not only economically vi viable, but actually economically beneficial to the farmer. Local sourcing has always been a big part. We have an upstate New York plant. We have an Idaho plant. We source all of our milk locally through many, many co-ops and farms. And so we want to double down on local sourcing and we're New York state grown and certified and we're Idaho preferred. That helps with the freshness and deliciousness of our product, but it also helps with the carbon footprint and the environmental piece of, of yogurt making and, and dairy farming. Um, and then, you know, farms need more economic opportunity the bottom line. Farms are closing because they're not making ends meet. So we launched a Chibani scholarship uh, program and we launched a Chibani community impact fund program. And we're partnering with Cornell University, University of Idaho, the Community Foundation of uh, Central New York, and the Idaho Community Foundation as well. So really good partners to help uh, with the scholars program and, this, and the community impact funds program. Um, where people can get access to education and funding. And then just general support for dairy farms. Dairy farms and dairy farmers need help and they need advice. The first thing we're going to do is not mandate how they farm. They know how to farm best. Um, and so we're not going to mandate the use of non-GMO feed and seed. We recognize it's in short supply. We recognize it's expensive. And we also want to help small farms receive more funding and, and uh, for projects to improve their business and farming practices. So we would like them to be more profitable, and we'd like them to have better farming practices, and we think those are inextricably linked. So 
I think if we were able to help in these six areas with these eight partners, we can make a dent in the dairy depression. And, and that's really our goal. And if we achieve this, and, and if we do our small part, and we don't think that we're going to fix the world. We're not over-bigging up Chobani's contribution here, um, or we're not being overzealous. We want to do our small but important part. And our goal would be that is really threefold. Um, if we were to do this and do this well, we want no farms to be closing. We'd like zero farms a day to be closing, not five. We'd like new farms to be opening. So funding and impact funds and scholar programs can really help that. So that's the second thing. The third thing is we'd like to see more milk consumed in the U.S. We believe in fresh dairy. And uh, milk is a nutrient-dense food that we think is, um, should be part of the American diet, not only when you're young, but as an adult. You mentioned they're paying a premium to the farmers for their milk. Would that impact the price that the customer pays for your products? You know, it's a range, the plan, um, and it's a range, but the plan would be to, the premium would be anywhere from 2 to 4%. We won't be passing that on to the consumer. We'll find efficiencies in other places. And the other, the other question that arose out of that as well is that clearly if this has long-term beneficial effects, is this something that you would welcome other dairy companies or cooperatives to sign up to in order to... Um, make it better all around? We're totally open. We're pioneering this initiative, and we're proud to do that from a leadership perspective. But we're not only – we're completely open to others joining. And I think, you know, the more traction this program can have, the greater the impact the program can have. And we want to do right. This is about dairy farms and dairy farmers and the overall industry. This is to help the overall industry. So whatever will help the most and the most quickly, the most farms and farmers the most quickly, we're open to doing. And will you tweak this program as you go along if necessary? Yes. I don't think this is sacrosanct or completely set in stone. I think this can evolve over time as we get more and more feedback. Um, so think about this as, not a linear set in stone program and plan, but one that can evolve over time for the betterment of the dairy industry. As we continue to get more partners on board, as we continue to learn more, as we continue to listen more, um, we can certainly evolve this and add, add to it so that it has the maximum impact. Our goal is to have the ma maximum positive impact as possible. There are two other things that in doing all of this would be a good outcome. Number one, we'd celebrate the dairy industry as a whole because it's a beautiful industry and there's so much goodness in that industry. And it's a shame that the perception lags the reality and there's a lot of doubt and cynicism around it. And that is a shame and it's unfair, actually. Um, so we want to shine a better light on that industry in doing this. And then the second thing is we want to create a closer, better relationship between the dairy farmer and the consumer. If the consumer knew more about the dairy farmer and the dairy farm, 
they would drink more milk. The consumer now is hearing noise from certain doctors and nutritionists and seeing things online that were very unfortunate, but that don't represent the dairy industry as a whole. So the more we can um, be transparent about what the dairy industry really is and what it's really all about and what these farmers are and what they're all about, the more of a bond we can create between the consumer and, and the farm and the farmer, which will also help, you know, destigmatize and will also help uh, increase consumption of milk in America. And now it's our weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTLFC Stone's Liam Fenton. Butter prices uh, continue to remain under pressure this week. Um, Price-wise, uh, quarter three was down from about 38.75 to the 36.75 level. And quarter four was also down um, last week around 39.35 to closer to the 37.50-65 level this week. This has been in line with physical sell-off really in prices, also where dry weather concerns a couple of weeks ago are, are no longer a concern. Also talk of plentiful stock of water and cold storage seems to be laying any concerns uh, regarding an occurrence uh, of the last two years' aggressive squeeze on price to the upside. The skimmel powder was not so one-way directionally, uh, with more flattening of the curve really from quarter three out to quarter one of next year. We saw quarter three move up slightly on the continued covering by end users from 21.25 level to 21.40 level. Quarter four remained relatively flat around the 21.80 level and slightly dropping uh, prices in in quarter one from 22.60 to 22.35, albeit on like volume uh, further up the curve. Whey was slightly stronger this week, uh, trading around the 700 euro a ton for quarter four. Thank you, Liam. We'll talk to you again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And so that's it for this week. Next week, we have interviews on Versalon XFR, an extra flexible and lightweight suction and discharge hose designed for food and beverage transfer applications. And we go to Rwanda, well, not literally, much as I'd like to, for information on the very successful Send a Cow program, which is helping local farmers in the African country through Jersey cows. And we'll hear about some new technology being utilised on Arla Farms in the UK. And maybe an interview with somebody else who remembers the reruns of those old black and white comedies, just so I don't feel so ancient. At this point, I have a strong desire to quote from Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy, but that might just be another fine mess I've gotten myself into, so I'll simply say have a great weekend and week ahead, and thanks for listening.